Welcome to the 3ND Podcast. My name is Sean Coleman, as always, joining you. And uh, um, it's 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 great to join you now after the new year. Hope everyone had a happy holiday season. Um, the end of a decade, the end of a lot of things, um, but, but a great start to things as well. And um, one thing that is always great is through being now a part of the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, I have a wide assortment of fellow folks who I can talk with um, if myself or Justin are not available tonight. Justin Lewis was unable to join us. So I've got fellow Grizzly Bear Blues um, blog member, Greg Lubiani, who has been uh, gracious enough to join me. Greg, how are you tonight, sir? Doing well, especially after that win. How about yourself? Uh, doing great, doing great. It, it's kind of weird after the past few years, you know, even when we had the playoff run, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in 15 and 16 and 16 and 17, to be, to be winning this much in December and January is really, really weird. And I think we either tonight or tomorrow, or it's the year anniversary of the Justin Holiday trade with the Bulls. So I'm actually pretty excited. I'm not having anything to regret tonight. It's a weird feeling, but it's one that I can get yeah. used to. How about you? <laughs> it's a, a pleasant surprise without question. Uh, it is. Yeah, I, I really thought going into the season, this would be about the time of year where we'd start looking at uh, the best college players that we could possibly draft if things go well. You know, I, I didn't expect there to be a legitimate uh, uh, twinkle of hope for playoffs uh, come January, but it's looking like that might actually not be too far out of the realm of possibility. And we discussed that a little bit last time when Justin and me were um, talking about, you know, you know, this Grizzlies team, you know, it, it playoffs should not be the focus, but if it's just there, if, if it just happens naturally, you know, there's a lot of benefit to go after it. And I'll discuss that with you. Um, here in a bit, but obviously uh, we want to, you know, talk about the Grizzlies recent play, but we're going to first start off with, you know, our own breakdowns uh, of the recent um, um, fun that was the uh, best of the decade list. Uh, I, Greg and myself both submitted our um, top 10 Grizzlies uh, to uh, Joe Molinax and, and, you know, along with many others to the uh, overall Grizzly Bear Blues best of the top 10 Grizzlies uh, um, collective list. Now, what I'm going to do is, is that I'm going to allow for Greg real quickly to give his top 10 list and then both he and I'm going to give mine and we're going to explain kind of where we came from. I think in the case of me and Greg, we may not have had lists that were of popular opinion, but we had our reasons for giving it. So, Greg, the floor is yours, sir. What was your top 10 Grizzlies list? And you explained on Twitter, but go a little bit into detail as to why you chose the list that you did. Sure. Uh, You know, I tried to be as objective as possible uh, coming up with it, and I tried to definitely lean heavier towards production, but not 100%. You know, I tried to take into account some other factors and that starts right off the bat at uh, my number 10 uh, was John Morant and I know a a lot of people didn't like the idea of a rookie being in the top 10 and I get that I mean how much can somebody contribute uh, in a month and a half or so of uh, games but the reason I put him in was one the talent level that he has is definitely top 10 in terms of all the Grizzlies from the past decade, but also what he's done to the fan base in terms of hope that, you know, 
a fan base that needed it. You think of where we were before that lottery night, and then when we got that number two pick, the hope and optimism and excitement that took over immediately, that's John Morant. And so for me, that gets the number 10 slot. Uh, number nine, I went with Jaron Jackson, the the, you know, the second of the young core here. Uh, he's been phenomenal in the limited amount that he's played so far. Uh, had, had another really solid game tonight. Uh, you know, and you think about the fact that he's still less than 21 years old, still can't even legally drink and doing some of the things he's doing. Uh, I think it's just absolutely you know, reason for when you think about him and Ja uh, Grizzlies fans to have realistic expectations of not just making playoffs in the near future, but in the near future competing for, you know, that t- top spot in the Western conference semis, in my opinion. Uh, but then after that, I go more towards the historic era <laughs> of the Grizz. Number eight, going with uh, the man who's now played across four decades, Vince Carter, uh, and the veteran presence he provided. Number seven, Courtney Lee, I think a, a guy that probably gets overlooked by a lot of the certainly casual Grizzlies fans. Uh, Courtney Lee uh, did some wonderful things in his time with the Grizz and really helped uh, in a lot in terms of what he produced, especially when you look at his win share, et cetera. Number six, Jamichael Green, uh, another very underrated player who, you know, was the, definitely the less publicized of the rebuild casualties last year, uh, but certainly uh, – he had a, a very strong role uh, up until that point with the Grizzlies. And then you get into the top five. And top five, obviously, you, you know, you've got your Mount Rushmore, you know, if you will, the Grizz. Uh, but then also one other for me that could have gone the five spot or four spot. My five spot actually went to Tony Allen. Uh, and that was a tough one, not to have Tony Allen in the top four. Obviously, Tony Allen's top five, so I'll I'll speak to the good of Tony Allen first here. Culture. You know, just the attitude, confidence, toughness he brought was something sorely needed by the team at the time. Uh, And when he came along and, you know, the defensive, you know, abilities that he brought as well, being able to put him on the team's top player and not have to worry as much about double and triple teams was phenomenal and just gave an overall confidence to the fan base, if you will, that, you know, this was our house, this was Memphis, and, you know, we're going to give you everything you can handle. Uh, so, I, you know, to this day, love Tony Allen. You know, I love listening to him uh, when he pops on the radio, uh, you know, makes an appearance elsewhere. He's fantastic. And so, you know, I, he's definitely – a grizz for life there. Uh, number four is Rudy Gay. And that was the one that was tough for me, you know, putting him over Tony Allen. But Rudy Gay was so talented in his prime years with the Grizz. It, he doesn't, in my opinion, does not get the credit he deserves from a lot of the fans uh, for everything that he did and accomplished uh, in his time with the franchise. One uh, part of the core four grit and grind years, you know, in terms of how people remember it, but he was a big part of this franchise for a long time. And so he got my number four spot. Uh, And then you get to the top three. 
Number three, I went with the conductor, Mike Conley. Uh, obviously, a, a Memphis legend and will be forever. Tough to say goodbye to him uh, this past year, but uh, obviously excitement now with job. But Mike was just so tremendous uh, throughout all, all the decade uh, for Memphis. My number two spot, also part a big part of that culture change and somebody that, you know, was a redemption story both ways. You know, you know, found his redemption in Memphis and helped Memphis, you know, bring Memphis back up along with him. Zach Randolph. You know, it, it, Randolph was my favorite player by far. I mean, I love the guy. You know, I had I had the headband <laughs> only because Zebo was wearing the headband, and so uh, absolutely cannot say enough about him. And and as well from a statistical perspective, it's not just a fandom perspective. Uh, Zach Randolph was phenomenal in production, and you look at uh, win shares as well, and win shares per 48 per games. He's top two, top three across the board uh, for the Grizzlies across the decade, and absolutely deserving of top three status in the ranking here. Uh, but my number one, going with the total package of production, talent, you know, quote unquote homegrown, and that he was Memphis High School as well as Mark Gasol. You know, I don't think anybody from a statistics perspective contributed as much as Marcus Gasol did uh, throughout the decade. Was as loyal as they come. You know, it has been a class act. It was a class act about the whole departure, uh, in my opinion, last year. I think most Memphis fans were happy to see him win that championship last year uh, with Toronto because of everything he gave to the city and to the franchise. And so Gasol gets my, my top spot in that top 10. So I'm, I'm interested now to hear, hear what, what are, what's your take uh, on this? Well, so um, basically what it comes down to is this. Um, I was very similar in my take. And my approach was how did they impact the decade on the court? Um, I, I know that the, the, the question was also concerned, um, you know, off the court things and stuff. And, you know, obviously for good reason, but I, I wanted to be as practical as possible throughout the decade. What 10 Grizzlies did I feel offered the most value for whatever reason that that may be to the Grizzlies' performance on the court. So um, I, I actually started out with Bino Udra and Tayshawn Prince. Now, these guys may not rank in, you know, you know, in terms of statistical value, they may not rank in the top 20 Grizzlies of the decade, but their playoff performances and moments and when they were a part of the Grizzlies, they played significant roles in supporting the Grizzlies during the peak of their seven-year playoff run. So I felt both of them um, deserved a spot on the list. Um, and so I, I, that was a criteria that I wanted, you know, consider players who were there when we reached the peak of our stretch run or of our peak run. And that was Prince and Bino Udra. Courtney Lee was number eight on my list. And the reason why he was there was because in terms of the years that he was there, um, he, he was he, he was phenomenal. He, I feel like that for Lee, he made the peak of his career may have been with the Grizzlies. And he also was probably one of the closest things that we had as the best compliment to the core for um, during this time here. 
Jermichael Green was number seven. And the reason why he was number seven was because of his longevity, also because of how he developed. Jermichael Green, undrafted out of Alabama, nobody really expected him to be much of an NBA player, but he was the prototypical Memphis player, a guy who got his chance with the Grizzlies, may not have had that same chance elsewhere, but he made the most of it, was a contributing member to a few playoff teams, and eventually was traded off, and now he is a key member of the Clippers. But when he was with the Grizzlies, you know, he's been the closest thing we've had to Zach Randolph since Randolph left, and I, and I felt that that was definitely valuable. Number six on my list was Vince Carter. Now, Carter was not that valuable in terms of his you know, actual statistical performance. But if you want to talk about a guy who was an anchor for the intangibles, a lot like Allen, and a guy that when he came in and played, he contributed well, gave an effort, helped this younger Grizzly, the younger Grizzly reserves grow, Carter was there. And also the longevity of how long he played. You know, he, he, he was with the Grizzlies for three years, and he made it a point to come and join us when he could have gone anywhere else. So I felt there was a lot of value in that. Number five was Rudy Gay. Now, I will argue that in terms of natural talent, I feel Rudy Gay was, you know, probably a top three player for the Grizzlies. I think that, you know, natural talent-wise, it never developed. He could, an argument could be made for him, you know, naturally over Conley, Grandolph, or Gasol. But he was number five on my list because of his actual quality of play, the fact that he was there when we had our playoff runs. And while it did not end ideally with his time in Memphis, he was there when it started. He was a big member of us growing into an actual, um, you know, a year-in, year-out playoff contender. And so I felt that it had value. Number four on my list was Tony Allen. Now, no one has meant more to the culture. I'll take this back. Zach Randolph may have been more to the culture, but um, uh, Tony Allen has embraced Memphis and fans have embraced Tony Allen more than they have anyone else. That's why he's here. That's why he's in the spotlight after his career in Memphis. Tony Allen's play is not a statistical phenomenon. His passion is what makes him so good. And so he was, while he was number four on my list, it was clear that he was a part of the core four for how well he connected with Memphis. Number three on my list was Zach Randolph. No one has made a bigger impact in making the Grizzlies who they are and the grit and grind era. Nobody is a better representation of Memphis than Zach Randolph and his style of play. But in terms of the actual contribute, um, you know, contributions on the court, Zach Randolph didn't come close to the decade uh, statistical performance that Conley and Gasol did. So that's why Mike Conley was number two and Mark Gasol was number one. In terms of their actual contributions to the Grizzlies' success throughout the entire decade, Decade. They played for the Grizzlies almost the entire decade, so naturally they were there. Also, both of them were in the top three Grizzlies in terms of individual performance. Conley was number three. Mark was number one. And what I mean by individual performance is compared to the rest of the league, where was their quality of play? Mark Gasol was number one because he won Defensive Player of the Year. Debate that all you want, but he is the only Grizzly besides his brother to win a true Player of the Year award in the NBA. He also was a starter starter for an all-star team and performed at an all-star level compared to the other players. So the reason I went Gasol and then Conley and then Randolph was because of their contributions on the court and also just the simple fact that, you know, Gasol and Conley played the entire decade and played at a quality level. They continued the success of the um, Grizzlies um, once – 
Allen and Randolph had left. And so that's why I think that they were the top two Grizzlies um, of the decade. But Greg, before we continue on into, you know, where the Grizzlies are now going into the new decade, I also want to get your opinion on this. I want to go into detail about the top five moments of the decade for the Grizzlies. And I think me and you may have a bit of a different list, but we're going to discuss it anyway, just to have fun. So not too much of detail, but, you know, just going down memory lane. What was number five on your list? In terms of the top moments for the Grizzlies decade, oof. you know, number five, I think, is going to have to be drafting Jaron Jackson Jr. And I, in the reason I'm putting that at number five is, you know, that was the start of the rebuild, and it's not higher in terms of uh, the ranking for the moments only because I don't think it brought the same level of excitement as a number four draft pick typically would. I think there there were question marks by a lot of people about him because uh, of, you know, his limited production in college. Uh, but you look at the impact that that's already had and what the impact that that will likely can have going forward, I think is huge uh, for the franchise and for the city. So for number five, I'm going with uh, the drafting of Jaron Jackson Jr. For number five, for me, it was the drafting of John Morant. And the reason why I say that is because um, I think that Jaron Jackson Jr. has a higher ceiling on both ends of the court uh, in terms of an all-around player than John Morant. But John Morant is the true star-type level talent that this city has never had. It's due to his personality, due to his style of play, due to the position that he plays. So for me, number five was truly the draft pick of John Morant. And I know that it's at the last of the decade. I know that there's 10 other years. And I know that, you know, we don't know what it means. We don't know if it's going to get us anywhere close to where the level of the Grizzlies were, you know, at the first part of this decade. But we now know this decade has, or the end of this decade has proven, you can arguably say numbers-wise, highlights-wise, whatever it may be, just seeing him play, the Grizzlies have never had a player like this. So John Morant being picked as number five um, in my book. Number four on your list, Greg. So I think, you know, number four on my list. Uh, and I think, you know, it's it's tough for me, uh, but I'm definitely going with uh, the uh, – in terms of how I'm phrasing this uh, – the addition of Zach Randolph and Tony Allen, you know, uh, I, I think Zebo pl- played uh, in the oh nine oh ten season there for us, and Tony Allen came in. So it's a bit of a stretch, but you know, I've really considered that grit and grind area to, era to really have started then, uh, if you will, and just what they did overall in terms of culture change is what I'm putting at the number four in terms of the impact uh, on the franchise for this decade. They're still coming up, believe me, uh, in my top three. Uh, But just that part of them, if you will, 
the culture change aspect that they brought uh, into with the grit and grind era that defined the past decade for the franchise is going to be my number four spot. The number four spot for me was truly um, the the Tony Allen interview, um, uh, grit grind all heart, and the reason why it was was because that that helped create the culture. That was the staple moment, the benchmark, the 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 the, the birth of grit and grind. And make no mistake. The grit and grind culture that was established, the connection between the fans and the players, how this core four of players represented the city of Memphis because the way that they played was the personification of Memphis. That's what, you know, that was it. That was the grit and grind era at its core. And that culture off the court was just as important as the success on it because of Memphis being in a small market. They were never able to and have not been able to and probably won't be able to, at least over the next few years, to get a star-level player. But because they had four players that they molded their philosophy around that together were able that the, the collective ability of these four players in the roster were better than, you know, individually their talents. So what I'm getting at is, is just like the city of Memphis, this team did it its own way and they took pride in it and they took advantage of it to accomplish a a peak that nobody else thought. So the Tony Allen interview in Oklahoma city at the beginning of the decade to me was the clear, you know, indication that this was going to be something special. And that's four on my list. Number three on your list, Greg. Number three for me. uh, And again, this is kind of, you know, very similar to what, what, what you're saying as well here. You know, we both had a draft pick. We both talked about culture. And you talked about that national respect. And that's why for number three, for me, is Mark Gasol winning Defensive Player of the Year. I think that that was national respect that the Grizzlies had lacked and still struggle for. You know, that it felt leg- like legitimacy for the franchise. When Mark Gasol won that Defensive Player of the Year award, it was national recognition of an individual season for the uh, Memphis franchise, something that's hard to come by. And also represented the respect of what we were doing. Because if you looked at individual stats, it's not that Mark Gasol was the greatest shot blocker ever that season. You know, it was, he was considered the conductor of one of the best defenses in the NBA. And that's why he was given that defensive player of the year award. So it was a combination of national recognition of, an individual Memphis Grizzly, as well as kind of a nod to how well the Grizzlies were doing as a defensive unit as a whole. So for me, that gets the number three spot. Number three for me was my first true moment. I've been in Memphis ever since uh, May of 2010. And I'd, I'd been a Grizzlies fan, you know, since they'd moved to Memphis. But number three for me was the true, me personally, was the true impact of the grit and grind era. And that's when we upset the Spurs uh, back in um, 2011. When we, as a number eight seed, upset the Spurs here at Memphis, I, it gave me this, this perspective of the Grizzlies. 
I have always said that when it comes to watching the Grizzlies game, and especially in the FedEx Forum, give me a seat with my back to the top of the wall on the ceiling of the FedEx Forum than courtside. Because being able to see the reaction of the fans plus what's going on on the court, it makes the experience so much better. That's just me personally. But that's number three on my list. Seeing that in person was amazing. It was unbelievable. It truly showed that this team could when matched up against the rest of the NBA, it could make an impact. It could be there amongst the elite teams. So that's number three on my list. Number two on your list. Number two on my list is number three on your list. <laughs> it, it is the eight over the one upset, you know, beating the Spurs. And it, the fact that it was the Spurs. The Agreed. fact that it was a, a team that had just continued to have our number that we just couldn't get around, and for good reason. I mean, that team had Tony Parker, Manny Ginobili, Tim Duncan, uh, as well as one of the greatest coaches of all time, Greg Popovich, uh, running the show. And so to get that not just playoff series victory, but to do it over the Spurs was so perfect. And the joy in the city, in the arena, when that occurred, you know, is just at a level that's rarely been matched uh, in Memphis sports. And so, for me, that gets the number two spot. My number two spot may, is going to be my official guess as to what your number one spot will be, but I may be wrong. My number two spot was another game that I witnessed in person, and that was the series victory over uh, the uh, Los Angeles Clippers. Now, the Spurs victory was special because of who they were. It, it may have been more significant because it was our first true um, staple moment as a franchise to show we could be successful in the NBA. But the reason why this, the, the, the Clippers to me felt a little bit more special was because it was the Clippers. It was a, a true rival of ours. Everybody would say that the Grizzlies likely number one rival for the decade was um, the Clippers, not only due to the individual rivalries, but the styles of play, the flash and, and, you know, the city lights and pizzazz of the Clippers versus the in the mud grit and grind of the Grizzlies. And we beat them, you know, and it came after they had beaten us in a seven game series earlier in the decade. But just that game um, to where we took over late while Chris Paul and Zach Randolph both were ejected, you know, it truly showed that we could take on all the individual talent in the world, perhaps three Hall of Famers in Jordan, Griffin, and Paul, and we were able to beat them. So number two on my list was the was the game six victory um, against the Clippers uh, that allowed for us to move on um, in the playoffs um, to what will be uh, number one on my list uh, here shortly. But before we do that, number one on your list, Greg. Well, I tell you, you, you talked about that, and it was hard for me not to include that on my five as well. Because oh, a surprise. It was such a tough one because of, I agree, that series was fantastic. In the moment of Zebo versus Blake Griffin going at it, you know, highlights of that still get shown today. You know, it, it's so, so iconic uh, if you're a Memphis Grizzlies fan. But number one, I've just got to go with the greatest moment being the, the height that we've achieved. And that was the year going to the Western Conference semis, showing that we were true contenders. We were not just an afterthought in the NBA. We were not just a good playoff team in a small market. No, we went all the way to the conference semis, which means we were one of the last four standing. 
that's huge. That's legitimacy. That's my number one slot. So it's the same thing on my end. Um, it's actually what occurred in the Western Conference semis against um, the uh, um, Thunder that got us to the Western Conference Finals to face the Spurs, and that is Tayshawn Prince's dunk. Tayshawn Prince's dunk to seal Game Five to get us past the Thunder and go on to the Spurs. You know that that to me um, what was the moment of the decade because it was the peak of our success. Now. I will sit here and be realistic as possible. I truly feel, as I'm sure many others do, the reason why that happened was due to the Russell Westbrook injury. That's fine. If you just want to be realistic, that's correct. However, that's that's part of reality. That's basketball. Exactly. And the other thing that the Grizzlies did was that they took advantage of it. They played, you know, especially after, if I'm correct, we took a nine-point lead into game one of that series and still were able to come back and win the next four to move on. Um, so I, it, it was it was in the fourth quarter of game one, and then we won the next four. Now, we eventually went. We got swept by the Spurs. But the main thing is, is we got there. We got one soon to within one step of the finals. And so it was an amazing experience. So that was my number one. One of the reasons why Tayshaun Prince was on my uh, top 10 list. And, you know, to me truly was, you know, the point of the decade, the peak of the decade. And that's why it made number one on my list. But talking about the new decade, Greg, as we uh, spent a few minutes talking about the Grizzlies' recent play. Now, Greg, both you and I, we, 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 we love looking into the numbers. We both love analytics, both love statistics. And this Grizzlies team is such – it's not an anomaly anymore – it's the definition of the direction we're going, but it's so different from where we were. The Grizzlies, as they started off the season, trying to figure out the roster, things such as that, truly one of the worst teams in the league, a lottery um, a pick if there was one. But over the past month, nine and six since the beginning, or excuse me, not nine and six, but now actually 10 and nine since the beginning of December, this is a team that you know truly is in the playoff run. How do you think we've done it? Offensively, obviously, is the answer. But what stands out to you as to why we've been able to accomplish that? It's offensive efficiency. You're right. It's offense, and and it's offensive efficiency. And, you know, over the course of the past month, we've gone from, like you said, and it's absolutely correct, a true lottery team, one of the worst, to a legitimate uh, playoff contender, and it's being driven by the efficiency on offense. We we have become, believe it or not, I, you know, it, it was kind of shocking to me when I was looking at the stats. One of the top ten offenses in the league in effective Correct. field goal percentage. That's amazing. You know, and you look at points per you know per one hundred possessions, et cetera, on down the list. Especially if you take into context a bad start and what the offense is doing here over the past few weeks, we actually have been one of the top ten offenses in the league to, right now over the past few weeks. That's impressive for such a young team. I mean, I think we're, what, the third youngest team in the league, give or take? I know we're in the top five. Right. One of the you know uh, most explosive offenses around, and you look at it, it's because – we are getting good looks. We're uh, uh, scoring high percentage shots, and we're moving the ball well. 
You know, I mean, how how many thirty-plus you know, assist games have we had now in the past few weeks? I mean, it seems like almost every night now uh, we're getting over thirty assists a game. The only thing, really, in my view, holding us back is carelessness with the ball, the turnovers, uh, is a, is the big issue, and defense. But you look at offensively. Offensively, we've got it going right now. It's really been fun to watch. You know, between John Morant, Jaron Jackson. Jonas and and even uh, here in the month of January, Jay Crowder playing like a all star out of nowhere over the past three games. I doubt that that'll hold, but I'm gonna enjoy it while it while it lasts here. You know, the offense has really been humming, and so if they can keep that up and fix uh, some of those turnover and defensive issues, 100% believe they can grab that eight spot by the end of the year. And that's the thing about it to me is that when it comes to the Grizzlies, that, that you know they're, they're playing so good collectively, and, and you know we can point to stats. You know, a few of them that I'll mention is is that you know I, I wrote an article recently over at Grizzly Bear Blues talking about our third quarter you know efficiency. Well, the Grizzlies have gone from being the worst third quarter team in the league before December to in December having the time, you know, time with the Mavericks for the best offensive rating in the league, just overnight. It just seems like when December 1st rolled around, that's when we got better. And the crazy thing is, is that it's our depth, Greg, because at the beginning of December, you had both Brandon Clark and John Morant. Our worst nightmares were realized were at the same time. It was week to week statuses with them due to injuries, but our roster, when people, when our, especially our backcourt reserves took on bigger roles, Tyus became himself. Melton emerged as a true reliable reserve. Grayson Allen caught fire. Those type of things really helped us out. But the key about the Grizzlies that's just so amazing is their offensive resourcefulness. I don't know if we've had this deep of an offense. You know, during the Grit Brown era, you know, we had Mike Conley's three-point shooting. We had Mark Gonzalez's ability to create and facilitate for the offense. And, of course, you know, the the LaMarcus Aldridge-esque Zach Randolph, you know, uh, from the baseline up to the free-throw line um, jumpers, you know, Maybe I'll say it's Zach Randolph as for Lamar, LaMarcus Aldridge. But this Grizzlies team, the true resourcefulness we have now is not there. The three-point game, second in the league in assists now. If Jaw, who is taking a step back in his scoring, is not there, he's facilitating the offense. Jaron turning into one of the most efficient shooters out there. And if that doesn't work, Jonas on nights like tonight carrying the offense. We have four, five, six different ways that we can beat you. And through that resourcefulness, our players have truly gotten better. To me, the one big number from this season that really stands out is 115. That number, 115 points. When the Grizzlies score 115 points, we were 11-5 and on the season or more. They score 115 or more. If we keep the opposition from scoring 115, if we hold them to 115 or less, we're 11 and 8. And the reason why that stands out so much is because the previous decade, it was the century mark. That was the key. If we kept teams under 100 and scored more than 100, that was a true sign that we were going to have good odds of winning the game. Now it's 115 points. It shows that we're catching up with the league, but not only that, we're right there with the best of the best in terms of being a top 10 offense, and it's really starting to show. But, Greg, getting back to an article that you wrote, 
the beginning of the year, you talked about was Jaron Jackson Jr. truly the right pick. And you used his rookie production to prove that he was. Well, now he's turned into an offensive player that I don't think any of us anticipated would, number one, be his style of game, but also his efficiency. The development of Jaron Jackson, we don't talk about it much anymore because it's such the norm now. But your thoughts on that, how has he been able to sustain his production? Well, you look at his shot selections. You know, again, I th- you know, I don't think anybody would expect somebody who's six foot eleven to shoot over forty six percent of their shots from three point range, right? But that's what he's doing right now, and for good reason. You know, he he's it may look funky when he releases that ball, but they go in. He's shooting almost forty one percent on the year from three-point land. And, you know, so for uh, him to be shooting that volume of three-pointers in terms of percentage of his overall shots, please keep doing it. Uh, you know, I think the key for him is to, you know, look for that three-point shot or drive to the basket, not settle for the two-pointers. And I think that he's been doing a good job of that as well as the offense is doing a good job of finding him in those spots as, as opposed to being out of position. Uh, that and just general development. Again, he's not even 21 years old yet. And so, you know, his efficiency is continuing to improve. I think he's got an effective field goal percentage of almost 58% right now, which is fantastic, uh, especially for the volume uh, that he's being used and relied upon uh, by the team. I think he's you know second on the team in usage, if I'm not mistaken. And so I think he's doing everything you want to see in terms of his second year. I know the, the start had some uh, social media uh, experts, <laughs> and I use that very jokingly, uh, questioning uh, his abilities uh, going forward. And I think he's completely – quieted every one of those voices uh, with how he's done since the rough start to the year. Cause I think if you're a fan right now, you're loving what you're seeing and uh, just excited to see more of it here going forward. The only, the only thing he's got to continue to work on is those foul troubles, uh, which lately he, he has been, you know, a little bit better uh, uh, on the foul troubles. And again, you, if he can stay on the court, he's going to continue to be productive. And that's the thing about it is these guys staying on the court, it's health, you know, it's, um, you know, rotations, things such as that. Um, You know, that leads me to Taylor Jenkins. And, you know, I've talked, uh, you know, both me and Justin have really talked about, you know, how Jenkins, number one, he's adding value with his systems, his philosophies, his schemes. Rotations is taking a little bit of time, but it's the development of the players, too. Tyus getting back to the way that he was supposed to play. Brandon Clark's efficiency. Jaron Jackson becoming a player. I don't know if anybody really could have predicted he would become, but how good he is at it. Uh, Jaw as well. And then, of course, the Anthony Melton. But when you look at Taylor Jenkins and, and his style and things such as that, you know, it's funny. We, um, we, we look at these Rookie of the Year conversations, and it seems like that the true competition for John Morant is Kendrick Nunn. Now, before anybody gets, you know, all up in arms, there's no way Nunn is beating Morant for Rookie of the Year. Number one, Nunn is 25 sure. years old. 
24 years old where Morant is 20. Number two, none's just not putting up the offensive efficiency numbers um, consistently that Morant is. But I point to Miami because names like none, um, uh, um, Duncan Robinson, uh, the development of Hero um, and Abadeo, those guys, that's what truly is making the Heat a contender out there. I feel like Taylor Jenkins has that capability. Do you think that, Greg? Do you think that Jenkins, besides the three of Clark, Morant, and Jackson Jr., do you feel that Jenkins has shown he can develop talent around them, that we can take guys who people don't really think are true talents at all in the NBA and can create a supporting cast that can really make this Grizzlies team become a sustained contender You know, in the next few years? Well, it's a small sample size, but the small sample size we've got says yes. Uh, and I don't. E- and I won't even point to Ja or Jaron for that, because those two are immensely talented. So I don't want to say that. Well, it's the coach getting it out of them. So you look at the other players that weren't as heralded. Brandon Clark. You look at how far he fell. You know, again, you you can make an argument that he fell too far and was undervalued, certainly. But I think a lot of that is coaching staff using him the right way, getting as much out of him as they can. You look at DeAnthony Melton. You look at a guy like Grayson Allen. You know, Grayson Allen probably is a great example of some optimism for development. Grayson Allen had a very rough start uh, to the season, and he's actually become uh, a pretty reliable contributor here over the past month. And so, again, small sample size, but – Yes, I think absolutely we've seen promise in the coaching staff to be able to develop the young talent as well as they're still developing. Again, we don't have any head coaching experience on this staff. You know, everybody's new to this. So Taylor Jenkins is still adjusting to this role and developing in himself while trying to develop those players. And I think overall, you know, again, no coach is perfect. We're always going to have things to nitpick about, but I think overall he's doing a great job. And the thing about it is, all in all, is that when it comes to um, you know the development of the players, the offensive efficiency, it, it's definitely there. You know, it truly is. You know, uh, the 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 bread and butter of this team, like defense was in the past, um, it, it truly is making the difference that it needs to. Greg, one last question before we, you know, wrap up this edition of the Three and D podcast. Obviously, the trade deadline um, when it comes to uh, the Grizzlies, big things on the horizon. A lot of discussions around Audrey Iguodala, around um, uh, Jay Crowder, you know, players such as that. Perhaps even, you know, a few of the names that we mentioned, the younger players being added. Greg, based off, you know, again, Taylor Jenkins and seeing how successful uh, this run office and him have being able to acquire, identify, and develop talent, what's your preference when it comes to uh, trade targets for the Grizzlies? Would you prefer picks and because you trust the front office to make the right ones, or would you like for them to get young players that have already, you know, shown intrigue to succeed on the NBA level? I lean towards picks myself. I really do. Uh there, there's more uncertainty without question, you know, and, and you talk, you know, from a mathematical perspective, you know, expected value versus observed value. And I get that, but the picks, you know, draft picks is always is much more about 
taking as many swings as possible than anything else. Uh, I'm a believer in that. And so the more draft picks you get, the more swings you get at landing a player that can make an impact. And so I lean towards the picks myself, uh, especially when you look at what players that we could reasonably get that are out there in terms of young talent. I think it's very limited in terms of potential trade partners. Uh, you know, I do think we take whatever we can get. You know, I, I, I have no problem with playing hardball up to the trade deadline, you know, especially with Iggy being away from the team, which you look at what Kevin Love is doing uh, to the Cleveland Cavaliers franchise. And if you had any questions about letting Iggy stay away from the team, you're probably fine with that uh, now at this moment, seeing what Kevin Love's doing. But I think at the, when it's all said and done, you know, it'll probably won't be the haul that maybe Memphis Grizzlies are hoping for. You know, I, I'm skeptical that they actually get a first round pick for Iggy or for Crowder, but some second round picks uh, and uh, some expiring contracts, I think still sets the the organization up nicely uh, to continue making strong progress on the rebuild. Well, hey, at the end of the day, over the past two years, we have seen the Tyreek Evans non-trade, the Brooksgate debacle, and the desperation heave that was Justin Holiday that, of course, didn't work out. So the one thing that we have going into this trade deadline is that the new um, minds in place to make the most for the Grizzlies are certainly there. And not only does that, you know, it not being someone, but it being someone other than Chris Wallace, that instill confidence, we know that the guys that are in place certainly can get the job done. Greg, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Your insight, as always, this is the reason why I love having you when we get the chance. Thank you so much. Take a second. Where can folks find you? And, uh, you know, do you have anything coming up, you know, as far as um, some Grizzlies discussion on Twitter or, or via the blog or social media? I, I do. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Dr. Stat. I uh, try to talk about gri- Grizzlies mostly, but there'll be some other stuff there. Just, you know, if you only want to hear the Grizzlies, you can just ignore the other stuff. But uh, there'll be an article here coming out soon as well for all all of you uh, gamblers out there. I'm uh, do- in the middle of doing a breakdown on uh, how the Grizzlies perform uh, relative to uh, gambling lines, et cetera. So for all, all you sports bettors out there, that one will be coming for you soon. Gotcha. Now, did you bet on the Vols in their bowl game, Greg? I did not. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think I might have had, had a heart attack if I had. <laughs> that was probably a smart way to go. Very interesting to see that, Greg. We may likely will at some point get you back on here. I'm very interested to see that because that is continuing to be a big part of sports, especially as the access to betting becomes bigger and especially in this area it'll be fun to see you know the historical context that you'll present so for greg greg if you'll stay here a few seconds after um, we're done here i'll talk with you a little bit more but for greg lubiani my name is sean coleman we will join you every sunday into monday um we will be recording every sunday joining you at the first of the week as we are now with the 3d podcast thanks for listening also check out our other um, uh, Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network shows, Grizzly Bear Blues Live with Joe Molinax and Parker Fleming, and of course the Core Four podcast with Parker and Nathan Chester. For Sean Coleman, thank you again for Greg Lubiani. Y'all have a great start to the new year. Go Grizzlies, and let's continue to make that playoff run as. Oh.
problem. It's possible. 